I'm going to say good morning to everybody. It's week six that we are in, uh, we'll call it the land of quarantine or COVID. Hard to believe uh, six weeks have gone by. Just thinking about that, that people tell you it takes about six weeks to create a habit. And uh, this is one of those habits I don't like. <laughs> I like the habit of coming together for for scripture study, but uh, not with you all not here. So I hope this is getting out into at least some homes and uh, that it's, it's bringing some blessing. I'm looking at uh, somebody sent me some cartoon pictures and I'm looking at one that I thought I'd start with this morning because it's COVID. It's COVID appropriate. A lot of us uh, are are at home and I've had people say to me, man, it's been a while since I've been to the gym and my clothes seem to be shrinking. And uh, so here's a picture of a guy and he's He's one of these guys that I call a four by four. He's about four feet high and about four feet wide. And he's standing on the scale and the doctor is uh, is taking his weight. And he says to the guy, he says, well, he says, it seems that your weight is just perfect. He says, the problem is you're about 11 feet too short. <laughs> I looked at that and I thought, man, I think a lot of us could relate to that. We're going to pick up uh, this week uh, pretty much where we left off, get through the end of four, get into five. Some really good stuff here in chapter four that uh, I want to be able to center on. Last week, um, we kind of started off with this idea that um, one of the things Paul's trying to do through these words is wake up, wake up the church, is help the church begin to realize that, hey, we're not above everybody else. Uh, we're not this just like this chosen group of people. God has not called us just to go out to the Jews alone, but he's a God of all. And uh, so I use this term stunner, you know, because the language Paul is using and the examples from the Old Testament, uh, the quotations he's using are stunning. I was thinking yesterday, I uh, wrote this up on the, on the board for me to think about uh, uh, two different people. Um, I happened to grow up in the era where, when I was in high school, um, Rocky Balboa, if you remember Sylvester Stallone, those, those Rocky movies became popular. And um, I think one of the things that appealed to the masses was, here's Rocky, this underdog, you know, no-name no you know, boxer who ends up in a boxing match with the world championship and with the world champion and, and, and ultimately takes him out. Um, stunning, right? Well, on a theological uh, basis, uh, Billy Graham. Uh, this has been uh, back when I was uh, a kid. Once said something stunning about our church body. Because most of you know that Billy is a, is a Baptist. Uh, but he was looking over his shoulder at the Lutherans, at the Missouri Synod Lutherans specifically. And this is what he said about our church body. This is back uh, in the early 1970s. He says, I believe that the Missouri Synod is a sleeping giant. And what Billy meant by that is if we could just wake up and shake the dust out of our eyes, uh, what, what the Missouri Synod could do would be powerful in our world because of its, its theology which is centered in what we're going to talk about today, grace, the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, kind of thinking back over my years of ministry, it strikes me that during the 1970s and part of the 1980s, 
our body really started to respond to that to some degree. And uh, there was a, a movement within our church body towards, hey, let's, let's get out of the church and into our neighborhoods and our businesses and in our world and bring the gospel outwardly uh, to the degree that I still remember and hold dear uh, a time when congregations would host uh, gatherings where we talked about, you ready for this? We talked about evangelism. Shocking. And uh, I look back on that, and I think the giants seem to have just kind of gotten up and, and shook a little dust down and then decided to lay back down and go back to sleep. And I hate to say this, but it seems like for a long time, the giant has not only been asleep, but you can hear him snore. And I think God is doing something right now that's stunning. And uh, my prayer is that he'll use what's going on in our world today to do, to do really what Paul is doing here in, in the church in Rome, saying, listen, do you remember who you are? Remember what we're called to be? Remember what God is trying uh, to do? So that said, let's kind of look at these stunning words. I'll recap just a little bit. Go back up to chapter 4, verse 13, where Abraham is being used as, as the example of what it means to be saved by grace. And here Paul uses these words for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Okay, How do I get right with God? Not, not through the law. Uh, I can try as hard as I can to perform the law and I will fail. Uh, but through faith, a faith that believes, you know what? Jesus Christ fulfilled that law in my stead, did that for me. And so his righteousness becomes my righteousness. Those who put on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, uh, what Paul is saying here, will be heirs of the world. We talked about that last week. In fact, we looked at Matthew chapter 5. And what Paul is pointing to is not, not heirs of just this physical world. Uh, this is a mistake that the, that the Jews made and, and in a very real sense continue to make to this day. The belief that, well, we're going to be the rulers of this world, this temporal world. Now listen, God's not speaking temporally here. He's speaking cosmically. He's saying there's a world to come and it is the new world that I'll create and you will be heirs of that world. Of course, Matthew 5 finds Jesus on the hillside, the Sermon on the Mount, we call it, saying the same thing, that, that the, those who are blessed, makarios, are those who will, will inherit the world, and that is the world uh, to come. Verse 14, for, for if, and get that word in there, for if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, what does that do to faith? He says it makes it null and the promise void. You know what? If we can, if we can get right with God through our works, then, then Adam and Eve didn't need Jesus's, or God's promise of Jesus in the garden. They didn't need that. Um, I don't need it. If I, if I can work my way to heaven, I don't need Jesus Christ. It basically nullifies the very promises of God that we see, see running from Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation. 
So what's the purpose of the law? Verse 15, he says, the law brings wrath. It brings wrath. And then notice what he says, where there is no law, there is no transgression. The law, what? It shows us what transgression is. It becomes the mirror into which we look and recognize our need for a Savior. Verse 16, that is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be I like, I like the translation here, be confirmed within his offspring. The promise rests on grace, and it is being confirmed within his, his offspring. And, and I like that word, confirmed within his offspring, because I want you to remember that every single day, we have an enemy who is standing over us with the law, and he knows it well. Listen, Satan knows the law well. He uses it to do what? To accuse us. You're not going to make it. You're not good enough. You think about, what are we up to? 50,000 people who've, who've died up to this point with this, this disease, and many more. I always remember there's, there's what is it, like 150,000 that die on an average week. And, and so many are dying with what? With the enemy standing over them. Listen, you didn't do enough. You weren't good enough. You weren't right enough. And so what, what happens is, no, our promise rests upon grace. The word is charis. It's not deserved. I didn't deserve it. God, God gave it to me. And, and not only that, but he confirms within us, he, he speaks within us through the Holy Spirit. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Second half of that verse says, not, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is father of us all. And I've got that phrase circled in my Bible because it, it is Rocky Balboa's right hook to Apollo Creed. Boom. When the church in Rome hears this, who is the father, father of us all? <gasps> We who read this, we should hear a collective gasp, like the air is getting knocked out of you. Because for so long, the church has grown up believing Abraham is our father, not the father of the, the nasty Gentiles. He is our father. And to hear Paul speak these words so clearly, it is meant to stun, it is meant to shake, it is meant to say, giant, wake up. Because it's time to go out in the name of Jesus Christ and bring the gospel. Verse 17, he says, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Now, this isn't new. I mean, that's what Paul's saying. This isn't, we should have known this all along. That quote taken, of course, from Genesis 17. We go back to Genesis 11 as God is, is making Abraham... Um, the, the father of, of, of what? One nation? No, many nations. In the presence of God in whom he believed, and look at these words. I love, I love these words. They, they have, they have a, both a, uh, an obvious meaning and a not so obvious meaning. So kind of watch what's going on here. In the presence of God in whom he believed, who, namely God, gives life to the dead, so to hear that, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. 
How can you say that, that, that Abraham is the father of us all? Well, because Abraham, I didn't say that. God said that. Well, when did he say that? Well, look, God is the God who's doing what? Giving life to the dead, calling into existence the things that do not exist. That first phrase, who gives life to the dead, is what? It's, it's resurrection language. Who gives life to the dead? It, it points back to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? But it also points, points us forward uh, in an ongoing way to what God does through the gospel in our lives. He gives life to the dead. Um, the cross-reference verse here that I think is critical is Ephesians 2. Who gives life to the dead? Are you dead? Am I dead? There were some babies born yesterday. Are they dead? Um, a lot of death going on around us, but this is a different kind of death. And when we come over to Ephesians, and I'll, I'll give you just a, a minute to do that. I want you to look at this cross-reference here. I think these words are are critical for us to get into us, to understand. They're, they're really part of the foundation upon which uh, the theology of this church body rests. Again, this is Paul, and, in, and he's speaking into uh, now the church in Ephesus, chapter 2, and he begins with these words. And you, and he's speaking to the, the church in Ephesus, now believers, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And this is who we are. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work in the sons of disobedience, that's Satan. Among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh. I want you to circle one word there. The word is all. All in whom we all once lived. There's not one person exempt from this. And in fact, we believe that when we come into this world, we come into this world as what? Not followers of God, but followers of, as he says here, the prince of the air who is at work in the sons of disobedience. Just listen to this. We were, by nature, children of wrath. Oh, look at that sweet little baby. Isn't she so sweet? Oh, ho, ho, ho. take a lot of selfies with that little one. Oh, they're just beautiful. Aren't they just so innocent? No, they're not innocent. We literally come into this world, Paul says, children of wrath. We need wrath to do what? To, to shake us to our core, to call us to the one who can save us from wrath, Jesus Christ. We are born dead. We're not following God. We don't want to follow God. There's nothing about us that wants to follow God. We are dead. Now come back over to Romans and hear those words again. How does God become the father of many nations? Through a gospel that brings life. He gives life to the dead. This is just critical to get. And I'm going to show you why here as we get into chapter 5. This single part of Romans, 
uh, 4-5 here, really defines the heart of the theology of, of the Lutheran church body, distinct from Catholicism, distinct from evangelicalism, distinct really from every um, denomination, Christian-wise, uh, in our country today. So that's, that's why I'm pounding it. I want you to get it in your head. He's saying, uh, how do people become part of, um, how do they become heirs of the world through, through a God who gives life to the dead? And then notice the second half, who calls into existence the things that do not exist. What kind of language is that? It's creation language. How did the world get here? I mean, so, sometime, at one time, that thought came into your mind. You were probably a little kid. And you probably asked your mama, because that's, that's who we ask. Mama, how, do, how did the world get here? And your mama said, as moms are apt to do, ask your daddy. And you asked your daddy, daddy, how did the world get here? And your daddy said, ask the pastor. And, uh, <laughs> and the circle goes on and broken, right? Well, we, we believe, what, that the physical world that we are a part of got here not, not by God taking some matter that preexisted and molding it like Play-Doh into the world that we see today, but we believe that it, it, became, it came into existence, and of course this is a Latin term, ex nihilo, out of nihilo, nothing. X out of nihilo, nothing, out of nothing. Now, this, can our minds comprehend that? Could, could I just speak and say, let there be, you know, a Chick-fil-A milkshake. Boom. No. But here's what we believe, and we believe it on the basis of, of faith, that all matter that exists today came into being literally out of nothing. And what's always amazed me, second law of thermodynamics, uh, from, a, from a scientific perspective, is that all that is has always been since that moment that God called it into being. Matter cannot be created, nor can it be destroyed. Think about that. Human beings have never been able to create one ounce of matter. Can't do it. Most brilliant scientists in the world cannot create matter. They can play with it, shape it, study it. They take a, a virus and map its genome. They can try to create vaccines to, to kill that particular matter. But guess what? They can't make it. Nor can you destroy it. You can't get rid of it. What is has always been since that moment that God called it into existence. This is creation language. Now apply it to faith. How do I become a follower of Jesus Christ? I know. I do it. I decide. I make the decision. I reason it out. I, I determine that, yep, this is what I need it. No. This is creation language. He creates it. He creates inside of us faith. When we are dead and actually don't want to follow him. When you put the two parts of this this um, uh, verse together, they're powerful in the sense that they're, they're saying to the church, are, are we above other people? No, we're the same as. We all are in need of a Savior. 
And so as you go out into your neighborhoods, remember who we are. We're a people called to, to all nations, not just the, the Jews. And we are called to bring a word that is creative. It creates faith. And it actually creates faith in the lives of those who right now are dead and following a different spirit, namely, namely they're following Satan. Go to verse 18. It says, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. In hope he believed against hope. There was nothing for Abraham that told him, oh, yep, yep, I can logically believe this. Nope. Faith believes what doesn't make sense, what doesn't fit our world's paradigms. It believes against the very things that my eyes see. And um, that's just so significant. Uh, Verse 19, he did not weaken in faith, when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, I like the Greek there, it's like the walking dead, <laughs> since he was about 100 years old. So, again, he's having hope against hope. He's 100 years old, and um, when he looks in the mirror, he doesn't exactly smile and say to himself, Hey, I, you know what I look like? I look like the father of many nations. That's what I look like. No, he says, I look like a dead man walking. That's what I look like. But I believe that this promise God has made will come true. He says he did not weaken when he considered the barrenness. The deadness is actually a good translation of Sarah's womb. Her womb is dead. It won't give life. Verse 20, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But I love these words. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Every time you hear that word glory again, I'm going to repeat this uh, throughout our study. Remember what it means. It means God is present. So, so put this together. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. I, could, I would translate it this way. He, he grew strong in his faith as he recognized the presence of God in this promise that God had given to him. Um, Right now, this is, this is my hope. In fact, I was asked a question this week, um, and, and it really made me stop. I had to just stop and think about it. Somebody said, Pastor Luke, what, what is your hope for this church at the end of this, um, this time that we're in? And you know, I stopped. I thought, you know, what, what is, if I were to put that into words, what would that look like? And I think it comes down to something this simple, but this, this, this important. That through this time, uh, we grow stronger in our faith. Stronger in our convictions. Um, that we recognize this is what's important. That we as, as families um, stop saying to ourselves... Yeah, I don't, I don't have time for that. I, I, I don't know how to... I think about this, that God has made each one of our families in, in a very real sense. Uh, it, it, we're, we're like a little church. You're a church in your neighborhood. And you can't be strong 
as a church if, if we're so engaged in the world that we're disengaged from what God is doing? If our minds are so engaged in the, in the thinking of this world that I, I can't think like God? If my hearts are so tied up in the things of this world that my heart no longer beats for the things of God? And I think my hope is that God will use this time to shake his church. Wake up, giant. Wake up. You're a giant. And, I, you know, I think about, um, you know, this week. Um, I was talking to Fritz about this this morning. Stunning to me, my hometown, San Antonio, was featured on Nightline. And um, they're going through desperate food insecurities to the degree that uh, one food line, Food America, is serving, they they typically would serve about 60,000 a week. Now they're serving 120,000. That'd be like feeding three full Grand Islands every week. And um, how are you going to keep the food coming? Now, isn't it interesting that one guy was watching his TV, watching this happen. And he noticed that that dairy farmers were pouring their milk down the drain. And potato farmers were throwing their potatoes away. You know why? Because restaurants aren't buying them. No demand. Have to throw away the supply. And this one man, just think about this. One man said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start using... the gifts God has given me and the place where he's put me to connect people together and to to try to help this situation with these food banks. And he started this movement called From Farm to Food Bank. And what is that one guy doing? He's helped in, in just a couple of weeks' time, food banks across this country begin to receive literally tons of food what can you do? I can't do anything. I'm just one person holed up in my home hiding. You're one person that God put in a neighborhood, your church. And this is my hope, is that we become strengthened in our faith and are able to recognize, wait, no, God has always wanted to work through each one of us to bring this, this word into people's lives. Why? Because it is a creative word. It has the power to create. No human being has ever created one ounce of matter. This word has the power to create faith. Whew. That's my hope out of this. Verse 21 says, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And that is why his faith was counted to him as righteous. Verse 22, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. This is not just a story about old father Abraham. It's about every one of us. And that's why the words are written as clearly as they are. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Isn't that the whole of theology in one single scoop? Just listen to that. Just listen to that verse right there. You know, what's the theology of the Bible? Well, it will be counted to all of us, his righteousness, counted to us who believe in him, who was raised up from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, he was, and raised up for our justification that we might be right with God. 
That's the whole of the Bible in one single sentence given to the church. It's not. Let's not make this difficult. It's simple stuff that we bring uh, to the world. Well, I think we'll stop there. We'll get into chapter 5 next week and into one of my all-time favorite Bible verses uh, in, in all of the Bible. And then when we get into chapter 5, uh, verses 12 and following, we're going to wrestle because I want you to, to see, you know, why, why are we Lutherans different? Why don't, what, what is it with Catholics? Even what, what makes us different? Romans holds in it, I think, some of the, the theological language that helps us understand, oh, here's why these distinctions. And we got some of that today, uh, this idea that how, how do I come into this world? Children of wrath. And we're going to build on that as we get into uh, verses 12 and following chapter 5. Let's pray. Lord, as we uh, close this morning, we do so as uh, no longer children of wrath, but as children of light, children of love, children of hope, children of peace. We, uh, we have something to bring into this world, and it's, it doesn't belong to us. It's, it's your word, but it's so powerful. And Lord, you've put us into neighborhoods and places of employment to bring this word to others. It gives life from the dead. It's creative. And Lord, we want to believe that with all of our hearts. We are lifting up this morning those who are um, right now just in the throes of wrestling with uh, COVID-19 in their own bodies, talking to folks that are in that place. Lord, we're praying especially for those who are on ventilators and uh, right at the edge of life and death. Continue to give thanks for servants who are serving uh, those who are sick, for people who are feeding those who are hungry. Lord, we certainly don't have all the answers to the magnitude of issues facing our globe today. We, we do not. But we trust and believe that you do. Lord, um, I'll just close. I, I hear a lot of people say, hey, we're just going to, you just got to get through this. That's, that's passive. We're going to get through it. I don't want to get through it. Lord, I think we ought to go through it. We ought to seek out, what, what are you teaching us? How are you shaving us? How are you molding us? And intentionally say, God, make us different people through what you're doing, and give ourselves to you. And for that we pray this morning in Jesus. Amen. Thank you, guys.